Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 190 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined by, well, last week he was 50 Cent. This week he returns as himself, the one and only Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, let's dive straight in to the review part of the show. We're going to start in Thailand at the City Hall in Chachoengseo. Um, one fight to mention over here. Cheyafon Moonsri, 53 and 0 now. He defended successfully his WBC world minimum weight title against Tatsuya um, Fukuhara, who's now 21 and 7 with six draws. It was a technical decision after eight rounds. I'm guessing there must have been a cut that um, that made the fight end prematurely. But like I say, it went to the cards. Moonsri won the fight. I believe it was a rematch. I think the pair fought before. Uh, leaving that one there, moving out now to Scumthorpe. That's what we do over here. We go from Thailand to Scumthorpe at the Baths Hall. Um, top in the bill, Kirk Garvey took on Dex Spellman. This one was for Garvey's English light heavyweight title. There's quite a good mix at the kind of English level in Britain, you know, the likes of Miles Shinkwin, the likes of, you know, Dex Spellman, Kirk Garvey, um, Liam Conroy. There's a few decent fighters there on that domestic level. But anyway, this was a good fight from what I've heard. I didn't get to see it. I don't believe it was televised. Um, Dex Spellman actually got cut on his eye in the fifth round, but he managed to win unanimously. It's a little bit of an upset there. His record now 16-2. and two. Kirk Garvey loses the belt now, uh, now 12-3. and three. Dex Spellman obviously had to come through a, you know, a, quite a tragic thing, actually, when, when he fought, um, I believe it was about a year and a half ago, something like that now, obviously. You know, he, he fought the, uh, oh, my memory's so terrible. Um, who did he fight? Who did he fight? Dex Spellman. Oh, this is terrible on my part here. Yeah, I really apologise. There's going to be a short little delay while I actually pull up his record. Like I say, we don't like to do this. It's all in the mind over here. Um, he took on, and he actually lost the fight, didn't he? It was to Scott Westgarth. That was the guy's name. So, obviously, RIP. That was back in, um, um, oh, it was just a year and four, um, and four months ago. So, yeah. About a year and a half, like I said. Um, so yeah, so a good win there for Spellman. Like I say, he's had he's had a few demons really to overcome, and it seems like he's done that. Moving out now to China at the Win Palace Kotai in Macau. Fan Long Meng, the guy that beat Frank Buglioni in Monaco, he fought for the IBF Intercontinental Light Heavyweight title. He took on a guy who was undefeated, Adam Deans, who was 17-0 and with one draw. Obviously, Fan Long Meng, a good amateur, solid fighter, 14-0. and He was actually down in the eighth round himself, but it's not the first time he's been down. He's been down a couple of times in his career, but anyway, he got up off the canvas, and like the other times he's been down, he managed to win, so it was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds there for Fan Long Meng um, moving out now to Southampton at the Central Hall, Joe Pigford moved to 16-0, a knockout in the third round against 
Miguel Aguilar, who's really gone through the weights. I think he started at like super flyweight or something like that. He's now 11 and 59 with one draw. Um, moving out now to the Val Sports Arena in Cardiff, Wales, United Kingdom. Two fights to mention over here. Uh, Craig Evans managed to beat Stephen Ormond. That was a rematch there. Craig Evans, um, 20 and 2 with two draws. It was for his WBO European lightweight title. Stephen Ormond, 27 and 6. Craig Evans won the first fight. This time it went, uh, it went in the 10 rounds. Can't remember the the method how he won it in the first one but you know he he won once again he had a point deducted in the last round a lot of people actually felt that it was a robbery people were saying i didn't see the fight i think it was on box nation i've i've actually unsubscribed from box nation after many many years of loyalty i just feel like you know they're really on their on their last legs it would seem they don't seem to be getting much much fights from uh you know, from from overseas, you know those those kind of fights that they used to pull in the Mayweather fights, the the Pacquiao fights, the Canelo fights. They all seem to have just evaporated, and now we're getting MTK shows. Um, so yeah, it's not really worth my my subscription money. I think after all that time, I was really hanging on. But anyway, yeah, forget about that. Stephen Ormond. Um, some people thought he won. Some people were saying the commentary was really bad. I completely cannot have a say on this because I haven't seen the fight. But a good win there for Craig Evans once again. Um, also on the bill, Jay Harris. He took on Angel Moreno, 19 and three with two draws. Now 19 and four with two draws. It was a wide, unanimous decision win over 12 rounds. That one was for the EBU European flyweight title. Harris now 16 and 0. Um, he really dominated him, which is quite impressive. Obviously, um, Moreno's last fight was against Charlie Edwards at the at the back end of, of of March for Charlie Edwards' first WBC world title defense, and he was able to outpoint him but he's a tough 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 guy Moreno he doesn't really take many steps backwards and Jay Harris has kind of just proved there that you know he's he's a real world-class operator you'd probably have to say I mean he's he's won the European title like I say the proper European title so the world scene is really the only step left for him so some big fights for him uh Sonny Edwards and him I'd like to see that one moving out now to the Soul Boba Casino in California USA a couple fights to mention here really quick um Hugo Centeno Jr 27 and 2 took on Willie Monroe Jr the battle of the juniors um Monroe 23 and 3 and Monroe quite expectedly won the fight unanimously over 10 rounds um I think that one was pretty obvious to guess that that would happen friend of the show Willie Monroe Jr 24 and 3 I want to see him get his stuff back together really and try and have a bigger fight than that but the shock of the card friend of the show Devin Alexander 27 and 5 with one draw as he gets knocked out against Ivan Redcatch 22 and 4 he was down three times in the sixth round and out I haven't seen the ending I need to go and look at that on YouTube but that's a shock shock defeat there for for Devin Alexander I mean many would probably say he needs to throw the on his career now after that that is really really shocking um talking of shocking let's move now to the madison square garden in new york usa they're going to start here with the undercard um Salomon Sissoko, I believe he was a medalist in the 2016 Olympics, I think. He's been signed to AJ Boxing Management Team, I believe. Um, he was on the undercard. Um, he's now 9-0. and It was a unanimous decision over eight rounds against Vladimir Hernandez, uh, who's now 10-4. and uh, Josh Buatzi, 11-0 now, a knockout in the fourth round against Marco Antonio Peraban. That was for Buatzi's WBA International Light Heavyweight title. Um... 
I mean, I felt like the stoppage was a little bit soft. I think he was, you know, he was inevitably going to win the fight by stoppage, but I feel like the the, the stoppage was a little bit soft. Um, I feel like his fights have been a little bit underwhelming. His matchmaking hasn't been too exciting. We're hearing all these great things. Um, you know, he would he would completely batter Anthony Yard, stuff like that. Perhaps so. I'm not saying that he couldn't, but I'm just saying he's almost kind of going the same route in terms of opponents as Anthony Yard. And I don't think people are getting onto him for that, you know. Um, Boazzi obviously had a decent amateur career, managed to medal in the 2016 Olympics. That's something Anthony Yard didn't get close to doing. So, um, you know, we, we need to just just remember that one. I mean, he's fighting guys that that don't seem to be putting up much of a challenge. They seem to be coming to lie down. Um, and we're hearing he can be a world champion. He can unify divisions, stuff like that. So, yeah, steady on with that one for me. Um, friend of the show, Josh Kelly, he was on last week. He failed to move to 10-0. and It was a minor blemish, a draw, actually, against Ray Robinson, the, the crafty southpaw from Philadelphia, 24-3. and That was his second draw. Two in a row, obviously, he drew with Kavalowskis in his last fight. Kelly was actually cut on the eye, I believe it was in the seventh round, and then also cut on his, on his other eye. I think it was the left eye first, the right eye last. It was in the tenth and final round, but like... Like I say, a majority draw over 10. One judge scored it to Kelly and the two other judges had it 95-95. A bit of a hiccup there, to say the least, I had for Josh Kelly. Obviously, it's a very good fight, obviously, Josh Kelly. I mean, it was just a learning curve as well. So I think Josh, I think this draw has actually helped him a lot. But I think in this next fight, I think Josh Kelly would do very, very good. Yeah, it's definitely not the the end of the road, obviously. It's not, it's not a huge setback like the one we're going to talk about in a few moments but um you know I think he's bitterly disappointed with himself but I said it to him last week I said listen you had a fight five weeks ago you went 10 rounds um you're now flying out to, to to New York I think he arrived on Monday of fight week if you're taking a fight really seriously some people like to get over the other side of the world two weeks before their fight. They like to arrive there two weeks before fight night. And he he rolled in um, with, with like four and a half days till fight night. So I'm not quite sure about that. Um, he, he took on his first southpaw here. And like I say, he'd done 10 rounds five weeks earlier. Didn't really have loads and loads of time to prepare. They didn't have the opponent announced. I think they were, you know, kind of like... Um, they weren't sure about who it was going to be. They were kind of going back and forth between about three or four different names, and it ended up being Ray Robinson. And I've got to say, for someone as careful and calculated as Adam Booth, you know, this is this is a massive, massive, massive potential fighter here, Josh Kelly. A lot of people think he's a future world champion for sure. And now people are doubting that. Um, I am quite surprised that Adam Booth took such a risk, you know? Like, the camp was not ideal. Um, the funny thing I should mention is he actually had the same amount of time to prepare as Andy Ruiz had to prepare for Joshua. So perhaps there's there's something in that if you look at it that way. But um, yeah, Josh Kelly, I felt like he did enough to nick it. Um, you know, the flashier work came from him. He did seem to tire as the fight went down the stretch. But um, yeah, he's pretty disappointed with, with himself. I think he just wants to lock himself away and get back in the gym, which is the right mentality. That's the mentality of a champion. But yeah, I don't think we should be too harsh. I think he did enough to win the fight. I've seen a few people out there, uh, you know, with a few different scorecards and no one really 
from what I've seen, has actually scored it to Ray Robinson. So I think he's quite fortunate. You know, there was no luck for Josh Kelly on the cards there at all. You know, we talk about bad judging, and I'm going to talk about bad judging in a moment. Um, but yeah, there was no bad judging in that fight. It was really, really fair to to Ray Robinson. Um, so yeah, we'll leave that one there. Josh Kelly still remains the WBA international welterweight champion, nine and zero with one draw, minor blemish. Um, he needs to get right back to it, though. I think perhaps a rematch would be good over here, especially. Uh, moving up the card, Katie Taylor took on Delphine Pursun. Delphine Pursun, a a part-time boxer, part-time policewoman in Belgium. It was for the IBF, WBA, WBC, and WBO world titles at lightweight. Of course, it ended up being a majority decision over 10 two-minute rounds in favor of Katie Taylor. She remains undefeated, 14-0, now the undisputed lightweight champion, Delphine Bassoon, um, 43 and 2, her second loss in 45 fights. So she has done very well to, to gather that record. But I, as we believe, and we're not the only ones, we believe that Pursoon should have got out the ring with another W on her record, and Katie Taylor should have been served up her first career loss there. Yes, definitely. I've, I've personally, I personally I personally feel Delphine won the fight. I don't think Katie Taylor did very I don't think she did enough. Obviously it's it's another robbery uh, to me for me, I think that's a robbery. Obviously it's on an Eddie Hearn show. Um I don't I personally think that this should give a rematch to her and i obviously in the rematch I still think Katie Taylor will still win somehow. Yeah, I have to say it, I don't like to throw that R word out too often, that robbery word, but I feel like it fits here. Um you know, Katie Taylor at the end of the fight was absolutely exhausted. Pursoon, like I say, being a part-time boxer, part-time policewoman, she was banging Taylor properly, often as well. Like, Taylor's going back in straight lines. She was just almost falling over her feet, lunging in. She was hitting Taylor with everything she could handle. Taylor actually showed a real good chin. I mean, she was taking shots flush. We've never seen her look you know, in, in that much trouble. In all of her 13 previous fights, she'd never been in that much trouble, even if you combined all the trouble she'd been in. Credit to Delphine Pursun. Um You know, I felt like Delphine Bassoon actually started the fight really well. I think she racked up the first few rounds. In the middle rounds, I felt like Katie Taylor started to take over a little bit. She is obviously the classier boxer, but Pursun's size and just her willpower, her aggression... You know, she put everything into that. She fought like the hungrier of the two, and she definitely finished strong, despite kind of losing it a little bit in the mid-rounds, like I say. Um, look, I- I'm really annoyed by this. I feel like she has been put on such a pedestal, Katie Taylor. You know, most of these women don't have sponsors. Most of these women that she's boxed are part-time fighters. Even this lady here, Pursoon's a part-time fighter. She's actually a policewoman by trade. Katie Taylor just completely trains all year round. She's got all the sponsors like JD, I believe, and other big sponsors like that. She is one of the very few boxers out there in the women's side of the sport that don't have to work. You know, So all these people that she's been bashing up, collecting all these titles from... You just think well, it's a mismatch. It's a complete mismatch, you know? The other lady hasn't had the time to prepare. The other lady's 
you know, most of the time these ladies are actually fighting because they've got kids. You know, she's fought some some South American ladies, um, a Mexican stuff like that, and they've got kids. They've got two or three kids. You know, Katie Taylor doesn't have a family like that. She is just a complete boxer. She lives and breathes it. She spars with men. None of these women. It's a complete unlevel playing field. None of these women have got it easy like Katie Taylor. I'm not saying she's got it easy, but they don't have things the way they want. You know, they're always going to be the B side. Katie. Taylor's pretty much, you know, like like in our own league in terms of like the uh I'm trying to look for the kind of the right word to describe it. She's like um uh, you know, privileged. These other boxers don't have those privileges. These other opponents that she boxes, they don't have the privilege of, you know, being able to train all the time, of of, you know, not having to, to work all the time to, to put to put food on the table. They don't have the sponsors. They don't even have the trainers. I think Katie Taylor's strength and conditioning team and stuff like that, they do a great job with her. You know, she's got Ross training her. Um, he seems like a real good, you know, grounded trainer and stuff like that. All the backing, all the amateur experience, all that stuff. And like I say, Persoon won that fight. And some people are saying, no, no, it was really close. It wasn't a robbery. I disagree. Remember, this is a 10-round fight. It's not a 12-round fight. In a 12-round fight, if you say, oh, I think one of the ladies won it by... um, Well, one of the men, let's just say, because women don't do 12 rounds. So let's talk about men here, yeah? In men's boxing, obviously a 12-round fight... To say that someone won by two or three rounds, that really can go either way. There's 12 rounds. When there's 10 rounds, though, a a two or three round swing is massive. So actually, if someone in your eyes wins by two or three rounds in a 10 round fight, that's a robbery if if there's scores the other way. That is a robbery. You can't take those rounds away and give them to the other lady. That's a complete flat out robbery. And that is what I saw. And it's a bit annoying because Katie Taylor, I mean, she's she's getting all these plaudits. You know, she's a good fighter. I'm not saying she's not. Don't get me wrong. But she's getting all these plaudits. She's beating up these women that are part-time boxers. She's got a Netflix documentary out there. She's on every Anthony Joshua undercard. She's boxing in America. You know, she's being pushed like no other. I mean, it's incredible. Eddie Hearn, his favoritism for her is off the charts. And, you know, I I look at people like Callum Smith and I think, where's his push? Why isn't he being pushed like that? Callum Smith is, you know, he's got a good personality. By the way, Katie Taylor's got no personality, okay? So if you want to say, oh, Callum Smith doesn't have a great personality because he hasn't really had the opportunity to come out and, you know, talk his way into a conversation, show what he's really like. Listen, Callum Smith, I can tell you from personal experience, he's actually a funny guy. Katie Taylor comes across as having no personality at all. Um, You know, Callum Smith is a big punching knockout artist, could be the very best in the world at his weight. There's big fights like Canelo. There's big fights like Golovkin. Why isn't he being pushed? You know what I'm saying? Katie Taylor is pretty much the female equivalent to Anthony Joshua, the way she keeps getting pushed. All these world titles, honestly, it's, it's, it's really annoying. And it's so sad that Persoon, a policewoman, has had to put all of her body through this. She fought the fight of her life and it just gets ripped away. She got out of the ring crying. That's just disgusting. And then Katie Taylor says she fought like she won quite clearly in the post-fight interview. Complete, complete, complete fibs. There needs to be a review, actually. I'd like the WBC or any of the sanctioning bodies to get together and actually put that fight in front of a group of judges before you send Katie Taylor any any belts. I mean, it's just the one belt that Pursoon had. So before the WBC send out the belt, put that fight in front of a group of judges because that was disgusting. Ooh, anyway, uh, moving 
moving back to the card, like I say, but I just want to say, last thing there, Katie Taylor showed so many flaws there. Remember, she had the close fight with Jessica McCaskill that people forget about. In my opinion, Chantel Cameron is all wrong for Katie Taylor. And people talking about the best three women in in in, uh, in women's boxing, the pound for pound list, um, Cecilia Brackhouse, Clarissa Shields, Katie Taylor. No, don't have her number three. She proved there that she's not the best lightweight in the world. No way. So she shouldn't be in the top three or, or even four or five in the pound-for-pound rankings. Like I say, Chantel Cameron gives her a real fight. But that is about it for that one. I'm done with a rant there. Moving up the bill once again. Um, Chris Algieri, 23-3 and three now, 24-3. and three, A win against our very own Tommy Coyle. 25-5 uh, and five now, Coyle. It wasn't to be for him in his 30th fight. Obviously, Coyle was down in the fourth round. A, a body shot had him in... Uh, quite a bit of trouble, actually. I was very surprised that he got up from that, and he managed to actually make it to the eighth round. It it was it was a good effort from Coyle. We've got to say it. He seemed to hurt Algieri early on. He tried to force a stoppage. You know, he started the fight well. In all honesty, he probably won the first two rounds, but then he seemed to run out of steam. Like I say, and. Um, the shot he hit Algeri with seemed to actually wake Algeri up and you know he went on to dominate and like I say he forced Coyle to take that knee from the body shot and you know he carried on he showed the heart he showed the bravery fought fire with fire but like I say the class of Algeri was just too much for Coyle and the corner stopped it Jamie Moore had to make the uh, the right decision um, you know, which was very hard for him credit for him it was the uh, the right decision in my opinion um, and yeah, Coyle was completely gutted, but he was out of his depth and, you know, he didn't disgrace himself. He put up a good effort. He showed lots of heart and he accepts it. You know, he's, he's gone back and said, I got outclassed. The guy was too good for me. Um, I, I believe the pair sat down the next day in the hotel and had a chat about the fight. It's great to see this sportsmanship. Um, we, we, we will look to try and speak to Chris Algieri at some point on this week's show, hopefully part uh, hopefully guest number one or guest number two. Um, so yeah, I'll save most of the talking um, to that interview. But I just want to say Tommy Coyle came back from New York and I believe a homeless shelter in Hull had been vandalized, broke into, I think they stole some money that had been raised for the, uh, for the non-profit organization and Tommy Coyle saw it and he realized that the, the, uh, the, the homeless shelter would have to actually close its doors to the homeless um, while they try and sort out this situation. And, and Tommy Coyle actually tweeted them and said, hey, if I can get someone around there to fix this in, you know, within an hour and replace any stolen money, could it open again today? And they turned around and said, yeah. And he actually went down there. I mean, he's there taking pictures of, of the, you know, the damage being repaired by people that he brought in. He's there taking pictures with the staff. He's still got bruises and, you know, black eye and stuff like that. Credit to Tommy Cole. What a man he is. I mean, you cannot dislike anyone like that. Completely, completely um, full of class. Great, great man. Great role model there. Um, but yeah, leaving that fight alone, moving up now to Callum Smith against Hassan and Dan, friend of the show, Hassan, 37 and 4 now, it wasn't to be his night, Callum Smith moved to 26 and 0, a knockout in the third round for him, and Dan was down in the first round, the second round, and the third round, it was obviously a defense of Callum Smith's WBA Super World Super Middleweight title, and his WBC Diamond Belt, um... You know, it was inevitable, really. It was a bit of a waste of a training camp. As much as I do like 
Hassan and Dan, it was a mismatch. It was predictable. Um, he moved up in weight. He was, you know, he's way too small for super middleweight. He really is. And Callum Smith is probably the biggest super middleweight, um, or at least one of, in the division. Not to mention probably being number one or number two in the whole division. Um, so, yeah, we had to wait quite a long time after that Groves fight, and it was quite an underwhelming opponent. Again, I, I mentioned, I don't think he's been marketed well, Callum Smith. I think he should be a guy that they've made documentaries about. He should be a guy that's been on the Graham Norton show. He should be, he should be on the, the game show, you know, a league of their own. Um, you know, just to get that exposure. You know, he's a cool guy. Not many people know about his personality. He's um, He's got a good personality. He says all the right things. You know, he's a, he's an all-round good guy. He's a nice guy. He's funny. And he can fight like hell. So, you know, it's it's a real shame he doesn't get much more accolades. And, you know, he doesn't really have the profile of some of the much lesser fighters. Um, like Conor Ben, for example. I mean, Conor Ben's way more well-known. I know he's he's getting it, obviously, from his dad. But there's other people out there, like O'Hara Davies, I'd say, he's got a bigger fan base than Callum Smith. I mean, that's up for debate, I think. Possibly, possibly. I could that could go down as the most idiotic statement ever, but people are talking about O'Hara Davies, you know? There's a lot of fighters out there, what I'm saying, just using O'Hara as an example, there's a lot of fighters out there that are much lesser fighters with much bigger fan bases. That's all I will say. Um and moving up to the to the main event now, Anthony Joshua twenty two and oh against Andy Ruiz Jr., the late replacement. He's only had five weeks notice for the fight. Um, he he boxed the, the, the other week against um, Dimitrenko. I think he made Dimitrenko quit on his stall. And in came Andy Ruiz Jr. Like I say, 32-1. and one. The one loss came to Parker on points. A fight that really could have gone either way. So you could look at it as he, you know, was an undefeated fighter going into this fight. The only thing is, when Parker beat him, Parker went on to really cash in on his title. He had the big fight with Joshua in Cardiff. He had the big pay-per-view fight with Dillian White. Whereas Andy Ruiz Jr. completely fell off the, the face of the earth, disappeared. And he became, in my opinion, the forgotten man of the heavyweight division. A real top contender that no one talked about. No one had him in their top 10 or top 15 lists. And... um Credit to him. He stepped in, like I said, it was for the IBF, IBO, WBA Super and WBO World title. Ruiz himself was on the deck in the third round. Joshua was down twice in the third round. And then, of course, down twice in the seventh before the referee stopped it. I just want to whiz through this fight real quick. The first round, I felt, was quite a close round. It was a bit of a feel-out round. Probably a Ruiz round, actually, because he was the guy letting his hands go in in combinations. Um, Only once or twice he did that. But AJ was just popping out a jab here and there, he was on the back foot, Ruiz was the aggressor, it was certainly a Ruiz round for me, the second round was another feel out round, um, barely anything landed to be honest, I think Joshua um, probably controlled most of the action with his jab once again, he did seem a little bit hesitant, he did seem a little bit tentative, and Ruiz wasn't giving Joshua much of a target to hit, he kept himself nice and tight, he judged his distance really well, so a Joshua round I think probably in that second, in the third round I couldn't believe my eyes, it was incredible, Ruiz was down for the first time in his career, he was caught trading with Anthony Joshua. You know, he wanted to take the chance and credit to him because they were trading off and he thought, yeah, this is a chance to draw Joshua in. And he got caught with a left hook. It was a big shot. He went down heavy. He got straight back up. Um, Joshua went in for the kill and then he got caught. Down went Joshua and he was 
in so much trouble. Um, you know, he got beat to the floor, and then he got back up, of course, and got put down again heavy, and he was completely out on his feet. He was completely done. It's a shame, because Rory seemed to step off the gas, and AJ actually wobbled back to his corner. His legs were completely gone. I couldn't believe my eyes. I actually felt sick. It was really weird. My whole chest and back started, you know, it went all tight. It was really weird. I couldn't believe it. My hands were shaking. My heart was beating. I'm not quite sure why. It was just like, whoa, I just couldn't believe what I'd seen. Um, the fourth round was a nothing round. It was probably a Ruiz round. I mean, Joshua was in his corner at the end of the round, totally looking exhausted. Um, Ruiz didn't really do much, though. He didn't try and step on the gas. The fifth round, again, I'd probably say was a nothing round. It was a real slow-paced round. Ruiz seemed to kind of tire himself. Joshua looked a little bit gun-shy. The sixth round, the clear Ruiz round, he was walking Joshua down. He was hitting Joshua with body shots, and Joshua was dropping his guard. Um, he seemed exhausted. It was quite shocking even still. But again, Ruiz hadn't stepped on the gas. He he kind of gave um, Joshua round four, five, and six to recover, really. Uh, the sixth round, like I say, went to the body quite a bit, actually, so perhaps not. And then in the seventh round, like I say, Joshua, you know, the first time he got dropped was, was a heavy accumulation of shots, and the second one was where Joshua actually spat out his gum shield. He was trying to buy time. I counted 20 seconds um, from when Joshua first went down. There was 20 seconds before the referee waved it off. Joshua didn't show that he wanted to carry on in that time. You know, he he very blatantly spat the gum shield out intentionally to try and buy time. And you know what? The referee had some big, big balls to stop a fight of that magnitude like that. I was really shocked that the referee did it. Um, and credit to him, because there's a lot of referees that would be too terrified to stop a fight like that. I mean, people are going to compare Fury against Wilder. When, when uh, Fury went down. He did beat the count, but obviously the referee, Jack Reese, gave him a bit of a chance to move left and right, but when he did that, of course, it was going over 10 seconds. It was probably 15, 16, 17, 18 seconds he gave him, but in that time, he did show the intent to carry on. He was running left and right, he was jogging, he was he was he was showing great body language. He wanted to carry on. And it's Jack Reese's fault for giving him that time. He didn't need to say walk left and right. That was his choice, not the fighter's choice. Here, Joshua spat out his gum shield. He made that choice himself. You know, he, he went back to his corner, his body language was all was all wrong. He didn't look like he wanted to know. A lot of people are calling him a quitter. I'm certainly not calling him that. I'm just saying he didn't really do himself any justice. He didn't try to, you know, prove his point saying that he wanted to carry on. He he, he didn't show anything like that. And credit to the referee for, for waving it off. He's the man in charge of the fight. And he showed big balls to do that in such a huge, multi-million pound fight like that. But yeah, credit to Andy Ruiz Jr. I had a complete, complete upset here. One of the very biggest upsets we've seen in, in, in boxing. Forget about just recent times, but in history. It's basically like similar Buster Douglas versus Mike Tyson and Anthony Joshua versus Andy Ruiz. Everyone thought that Mike Tyson was going to beat smash Buster Douglas up. And Buster Douglas, just, Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson. It's the same thing. A lot of people are saying um, Joshua quit. I don't think he quit the fight. I personally think he wasn't mentally ready. A lot of people are saying that he, he wasn't feeling too good in the fight during the fight week and that he wasn't feeling too good during the fight and in, therefore Andy Ruiz beat him. But I mean, it's a good performance. It's a brilliant, it's a one, one huge, huge upset. Now, this fight with Deontay Wilder, I think it's personally over now, right? Well, you know, again, everything seems a little bit unclear. Um... You know, as far as we knew, there would be a rematch clause and the fight would 
would probably well the rematch would probably favor Joshua again. I remember Dillian White didn't want to sign on the dotted line because even in the rematch if he was to beat Joshua in the rematch he'd still have to give the lion's share of the percentage to Joshua. That's what prevented that fight from happening. I think they would have done no different with Ruiz. He's probably going to have to be the B-side once again for the rematch should it happen and I'm guessing there's other stipulations like the fight's probably now got to happen in the UK rather than the US like the first fight. Um that's what Eddie Hearn said in the ring straight afterwards there's a rematch clause he confirmed that he said the fight's going to happen in the UK um, Andy Ruiz though when he got interviewed the next day I think it was outside the hotel or whatever and it was with Sky Sports and he said he's still pinching himself he can't believe what happened he seemed like he didn't really want to commit to anything he didn't want to say oh yeah yeah the rematch is definitely happening you know they was even trying to say if the rematch happens where will it happen will it be UK will it be America will it be Mexico he, he really didn't seem like he wanted to commit to anything solid he, he said I need to speak to my promoter Al Heyman or my manager or advisor whatever Al Heyman I need to talk to my team he didn't want to give anything away he was keeping his cards close to his chest which kind of makes me think are they going to try and buy their way out of this rematch clause or what um you know it is very unclear and it's all a bit of a guessing game um I don't know anyone inside his camp. No one's told me anything. Um, a lot of people are saying, oh, are the IBF going to strip him because um, they did that to Tyson Fury when he had to honour a rematch clause, when he had to give Vladimir the rematch, which obviously never happened, and the IBF stripped him within 10 days. Um, you know, I, I've heard, again, this is not, I, I don't want to say this is gospel, but I've heard that the IBF mandatory is not due, so they're not going to do that. Apparently the WBO, their window um, period for a mandatory is due, and they haven't yet established a mandatory, because Dillian White's ranked number one, I think Schwartz is number two or three, and Tyson Fury's number two or three, those guys are fighting, but at the minute, they haven't established a mandatory challenger, and apparently the president of the WBO has come out and said that he won't push the mandatory until after the rematches took place, so it seems like there's no roadblocks or anything like that, it doesn't look like he's going to have to vacate or anything, but I just want to quickly say, I mean, this was a big shock, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that like to to see people foul, and we're not that we're not that kind of podcast. We're not that those kind of people. I mean, we're we're Anthony Joshua fans, obviously. You know, we want to see the the Brits do well. Um, we're not celebrating his loss or anything like that. Um, I think he possibly was a little bit overrated in terms of people on Twitter actually saying he would knock out Wilder, he would, you know, knock out Fury, you know. He had a life and death fight with 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 Klitschko. Tyson Fury completely schooled Klitschko. That to me was enough to say, "Hey, Fury's the the man to beat." He won the belts. He didn't lose the belts in the ring. I could go on all day. You know, he fought Wilder. He he clearly beat Wilder in my opinion. Fury. So for me, Fury is the man, and this this hasn't really changed that situation. If anything, it's proved the point even further. And I think the only thing I will say is. All those people on Twitter that seem to just worship Anthony Joshua, they've all gone quiet now. And they're trying to find excuses as to why he lost. And these are some of the excuses I've seen. I've heard that he was concussed after the knockdown in round three. I've heard that he had an eye infection on fight week. I've heard that he was ill and Eddie Hearn forced him to fight to stop the the, the show from falling apart. I've heard that he um, had a panic attack. All these rumours that are being put into the atmosphere by Anthony Joshua fans on Twitter that just can't accept the fact that he lost to the better man. The only man that's not making excuses, by the way, is Anthony Joshua himself and Eddie Hearn. The two guys that could come out with an excuse. And guess what? Everyone would believe it. Everyone would say, oh, that's why he did it. That's why he lost. Okay, thank God. He's still the best heavyweight in the world. 
he only lost because of that you know they're not coming out with the excuse so if aj's not making excuses no need for anyone to make one for him especially people on twitter um but yeah anthony joshua actually felt handled himself excellently after the fight he showed you know he showed the true champion in him he congratulated andy ruiz jr he had no argument with anything he didn't make any excuses and he he handled himself actually very professionally probably the best post fight interview i've ever seen him give um so credit to him and like i say it, it just seemed like in the fight when the pair were exchanging um it was a bad thing for joshua usually he likes to exchange he's he's a big hitter andy ruiz showed a tough tough chin and he showed the quicker hands and i think the the hands the hand speed really caught joshua off guard when the pair were exchanging constantly ruiz was getting the better of the exchanges and you know he beat him fair and square he dropped him four times and i just think if the rematch does happen Ruiz is going to be more prepared, and he goes into that rematch believing, knowing he can stop Joshua, he can knock him out, he can hurt him, and Joshua goes into this fight for the first time in his life, this rematch, he'll go into it with doubt, thinking, whoa, I can lose to this guy, this guy knocked me out, this guy had me down four times, so actually, I'm not going to sit here and start saying who I reckon is going to win the rematch should it happen, if it happens, there's lots of, you know, there's lots and lots of um, ifs and buts, like I said, in that situation, now Heyman needs to make the, the decision what's going to happen next, but I just think that if the rematch does happen, we're going to probably see a better Ruiz Jr., folks, and Joshua, is he going to be better? There was nothing wrong with his camp, he had a great camp. Is he going to be better? I'm not quite sure. So I'm not going to sit here and say it's a 50-50. I think Joshua still probably goes in as the favourite. But let's have it right. I was I was having this argument with someone the other day. If Andy Ruiz Jr. was built like Joshua, we'd all be saying, wow, it's just because of the way he looks. People are saying, nah, he can't do it again, surely. Even though he did it once and he did it on short notice, he can't do it again, surely. You know, it's just purely the way he looks. It just goes to show the heavyweight division, it's not about what your body looks like, it's about what you can fight like. And Andy Ruiz fought better on the night. And I feel like that's probably about it, actually. I don't feel like there's too much more to say. Um, Credit to Andy Ruiz Jr. He's completely, completely torn up the script of the heavyweight division. Joshua was overlooking this guy. Joshua was trying to plan a sit-down with Tyson Fury to try and sort out a fight. They were trying to get, you know, wilder in negotiations. They completely took their eye off the prize, and now they're being made to pay. The the Wilder-Joshua fight is no longer the big fight that it was. They've both missed out. Wilder should probably be kicking himself as well, because he would have probably gone in there and stopped Anthony Joshua, especially if you look at the two the two guys' last performances. They say in boxing, you're only as good as your last performance. Wilder completely starched Brazil, and Joshua's been dropped four times by Andy Ruiz Jr., so... Boy, oh boy, it makes Joseph Parker's win over Ruiz look excellent, by the way. But yeah, Wilder, he missed a chance for the big payday. Joshua has um, has took his eye off the prize and lost. And uh, yeah, Fury's got the big contract with ESPN. It's just a shame, because when a, when a mega fight presents itself, it needs to happen. We never, you know, it's never going to be the same again with Brook and Calm. We spoke about that many times, I has. But Wilder and, and Joshua, now it's just not going to be as big, unfortunately. One of them has lost, and that's it. So uh, it's a big blow for Eddie Hearn, it's a big blow for Joshua, it's a big blow for DAZN, it's a big blow for Sky Sports, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame, and it's the end of, of, of well, certainly for the, for the moment, the cash cow's been knocked off his throne. Um, I feel like that's probably all bases covered, I has. Um, just, oh yeah, just the prediction league, I should just mention, the predictions 
we didn't get off to a great start. We all agreed on it, on all three outcomes. We all went with Algeri on points. That didn't happen. We all went with Smith by knockout. That did happen. And we all picked Joshua to win by knockout. Of course, that didn't happen. So one point out of three for all of us. We all start on one. Myself, Ayaz, and the listeners. But that is it for the review part. Just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome guest number one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO super lightweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Chris Algieri. Chris, welcome back on the show, sir. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you back on, Chris. So we last spoke in December. Uh, It was just after your return to the ring after that two-and-a-half-year break. Uh, You revealed to us at the time that you had a little bet with yourself that if you gave away rounds in that first fight that you would probably just walk away and retire. Obviously, you won it. You won the fight handily. And then you boxed Daniel Gonzalez. And obviously, by looking at one judge's scorecard in particular, it seemed to be a close fight. Just before we get on to the coil win, how did you assess that performance there against Daniel Gonzalez? First of all, I didn't think that was a close fight at all. Um, I swept the first seven rounds, no problem. Um, I did have the flu that week, which definitely sapped my gas tank a little bit, but I had no worries about winning that fight. Um, I knew going in that I had a guy in front of me that, that, that I could beat even if I wasn't 100%. Uh, I went out there. I did, I've, I've said I said to my trainers, like, I'm going to fight as hard as I can for as long as I can. Because I really don't feel good, and I'm just gonna, you know, you just gotta do it. Um, and then when I got cut in the seventh round, that really kind of changed things up. Because now, oh my gosh, now I gotta really protect this eye, because I knew I had a date with Coyle coming up, uh, a fight that was gonna be very big, very important. Wasn't my 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 favorite night or my best performance, but I got the job done. Yeah, absolutely. And like I say, on Saturday night, you boxed Britain's Tommy Coyle. A lot of people over here hoped he could do it, but I think most of us kind of knew that you were levels above him, really. I want to ask you, do you go into fights, Chris, thinking what you'll do if either outcome becomes reality? Do you do you think to yourself, if I win, I want to do this next, and if I lose, I want to do this next? So my question really is, well, what would a loss to Coyle meant for your career? Uh, I don't really like to think like that. I usually think... Like whatever my next fight is, that's that's the that's the end of my timeline. Um, I think that you know on June first, that is the last thing I can think of. I don't even know what Sunday looks like on June second. I like that uh, because in my mind, I'm 100% focused for fight night. But whatever happens afterwards, you know, I, I go from assess from there. Uh, honestly, I mean, you know, Coil, like you said, he, he, levels wise, he's he's probably you know a few levels below me. But I knew that he was going to come in at Tommy Tommy Coil at 110%. You know, he was he was himself plus more, because I knew this was a huge opportunity for him. I knew this was his last hurrah. I knew that he was going to be a very dangerous – he's a very dangerous guy anyway. But um, I knew that he was going to come in fully prepared. His, his coaching staff and Jamie Moore, they're, they're, they're phenomenal. Um, so I knew their game plan was going to be good. You know, this was a very real fight. It was a very dangerous fight, and it was a fight that, I, that got me excited to, to train because Tommy Coyle is a dangerous foe. Um, but honestly, I, I mean, I, I was thinking if I had lost that fight, then, then I probably would have hung it up as well. Because if I can't beat the Tommy Coils of the world, then um, I can't really look to buy for a world title. And that's that's I want to be world champion. I'm not here just to get fights. I really like that answer. I like the way you say you don't even envision the Sunday. It's all about June the first. That's a that's a good mentality mm-hmm. to have. And yeah, you're right. I mean, Tommy Coyle for him that was like his world title shot. The fight itself, my my assessment of it anyway was that. Coil started pretty well. It seemed to take you a little while to warm into it. And you got caught with a shot that, if anything, seemed to actually wake you up. Because after Coil tried to swarm mm-hmm. you and you didn't go anywhere, you actually managed to totally up your game. You showed your class and you went on to dominate the rest of the fight until that corner stoppage. Is that fair to say, Chris? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, other other than that, that those two punches that hit me in the second round, the fight was 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 pretty pretty awesome. It was a pretty good performance from from my part. I mean, um, but yeah, I, I I had coffee with Tommy and his team the next day, and Tommy himself said he's like, man, he's like, honestly, I think catching you did more damage to me than it did to you. He's like, because I hit you, and he's like, and he's like, I went forward, I threw a million punches, and you stayed so calm that by the time we were done, you were in better position. You took you took right over. Uh, and that's true. I mean, I, 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 I knew I wasn't, he didn't hurt me bad. I got buzzed. I got hit with a good shot. I had to cover up and be careful for a little bit, but I was completely aware of what was going on. I knew that I was going to get him. And then as soon as, as soon as we got past that and towards the end of the second round, I was already winning the round and I was already in control again. And I knew that I was going to get him eventually. And the shot that I'm talking about, which seemed to wake you up, was really made a big deal of by the UK commentary team on Sky. They were shouting that you were pretty much out on your feet. However, watching the replay, I thought that they really overreacted because you actually didn't seem that badly hurt at all. In all honesty, um, in all honesty, Chris, how hurt were you from that shot? I, I wasn't, like I said. I, it, it, he buzzed me. He got hit with a good shot. You know, he came right hand over the jab. And then uh, that's, that point didn't... You're cracking up real bad, Chris. I got a little too soon trying to catch him in the middle. You're cracking up I got hit with the left hook, and that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, those. You know, they they weren't huge shots. You know, I got caught clean a little bit, and like you said, I was a little a little cold early on. I wasn't as loose, so those punches maybe had a little bit more more effect than they should have. Because I got hit with big shots later that literally I walked right through. So I they didn't really cause a lot of damage. Like I said, I wasn't I wasn't worried at all. Neither was, my, neither was my corner. And you had Tommy down in round four, um, a real good body shot. He got back up and credit to him for sticking in there to the eighth round. However, at the end of the eighth, that was when Tommy Coyle's trainer, Jamie Moore, stopped the fight. Obviously, it was a hard decision for him to make, and Tommy was clearly pleading with him in the corner not to stop the fight. But certainly over here in the UK, people believe Jamie Moore did the right thing. And looking back now, do you believe he was right to stop the fight, which I know kind of stopped you from probably scoring an eye-catching knockout? It was the perfect time for, 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 for them, for their team. I was walking back to the corner, like, next round. I would, like you said, I was going to set up a perfect knockout. I was actually doing that already. I was, I was looking. If you watch that, that, that seventh and eighth round, you see me stalking and looking for right hands. I'm looking for big right hands over the top um, because I was looking to do a picturesque knockout for that shot. But, um, you know, I just had to keep, keep peppering away, keeping him, keeping him, keep taking his, his energy away to try and set up that shot. He's a super, super tough guy. He's, he's always going to go out on his shield. But, but his corner and his people, they, they care about him. They care about his future. And Tommy agreed with it as well. You know, the, the stoppage was right. It was, it was the right time. Any longer, and who knows what, what kind of damage could have been done because I was not slowing down at all. No, for sure. Very well said. And like you mentioned, the following day, you guys met up and discussed the fight. I mean, that's a really cool thing to do. What did you guys tell each other there? You know, we're, we're, we're sportsmen. That's, this, is, this is sport. Um, you know, you got two guys. We're trying to kill each other that night uh, on fight night. You know, there's, there's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, there was no love lost on, on fight night. But that's because we're true professionals. We've been around this game long enough. We understand the stakes. We understand that uh, this is a dangerous game. We understand that people die with what they do. And we understand that, that this is how we both make a living. Um, so, you know, we went out there, we were fully prepared, we've been training hard for, to fight each other for months. Um, you know, this is the way boxing is supposed to be. You're supposed to know who you're fighting long in advance. You're supposed to train properly for them. And then once that, once that final bell's over and the, and, and the decision or the, or, the, or the result is over, you, you're both sportsmen, you're both in the same sport, you both shared something very intimate and something very real together. There's no reason to have any animosity at that point, especially with, with the way the result was. It was, it was final, it was complete. 
uh, everybody understood what, what it was. Um, there's no reason to, to trash talk or, or try and get over anymore. At that point, it's, hey, man, great night, great job. Uh, I'm a fan of you. You're a fan of me. And we're now friends. Let's, let's, let's go on with the rest of our lives. Now, that's brilliant to hear. And obviously, you know, Tommy's got a good reputation being a good guy. Did you happen to see the, the thing what he did when he got back to the UK? I saw on his Instagram earlier today uh, with the bus, the, uh, the Tommy Coyle uh, uh, boxing bus. Or, uh, no, oh, no, maybe you're talking about the other. You tell me. Fill me in. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I got a lot going no on. No worries. So basically, a local homeless shelter. Um, in, his, in his hometown, actually got vandalized. Some people broke into the facility. They stole some money that had been raised, and basically they had to close for a little while. And when Tommy found out about it, he asked if he were to be able to get someone over there within like an hour to fix the damage, and he would himself replace the stolen money. Would they be able to open the same day so that homeless people didn't lose out on having somewhere to go? And they said, yeah. And he went straight over there, sorted it out for him. He was still jet-lagged. He still had loads of bruises on his face. So he's certainly one of boxing's good guys. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. And I'm, I'm not surprised at all. I'm not surprised at all. From, from spending the time with, with Tommy and his family um, and his team, you know, they're just they're just stand up guys, all class. And uh, that, that that just shows that's above and beyond. What a, what a good man. Top top class. Absolutely. And did you hang around to see Joshua versus Ruiz from ringside, Tommy? If so, what? Uh, not Tommy, Chris. <laughs> if so, uh-huh, uh-huh. what was your reaction? I knew that was a dangerous fight. I, I, I know I know Andy Ruiz. I know he's a very talented guy. Um, the casual fans may look at his body and may look at his his, his you know his work and, and and not think much of him but that's stupid the guy the guy can is very very talented he has quick hands which was the thing that stood out in my mind as when the first fight was announced the difference between him and Miller um, Miller is a big guy he's a strong guy he's a 300 pound plus guy he's very very tall he's very very physical he throws a lot of punches but his hand speed is not like Andy's his power is not like Andy's Andy has power and hand speed and that night on June 1st he had the will and desire to win. He was he was gonna give it his all no matter what. Even when he got dropped, he got right back up and and, and, and then knocked down knocked down Joshua, which is a, a huge testament. Getting up off the campus to win a fight, which I've done before, is is extremely difficult to do, um, especially at a high level like that. So, you know, it just it just shows you that that you know w- what I thought about him in that fight uh, being a very dangerous opponent is absolutely true. And you're right when you say people look at his physique and just they're too quick to write a guy off and. It's funny because even now we're reading things. I'm sure you've seen it as well. People are saying, I mean, look at this fat guy. This fat guy beat Joshua. When, oh, they, have, when they have a rematch, Joshua's surely going to beat him. Like people are, people are not even giving him a chance in a rematch. And I'm thinking if he was completely ripped, if he looked like Joshua's body, we'd be saying, hey, he's going to probably beat Joshua again. I mean, it's, it's weird the way people think, right? <laughs> it's silly. You know, it's, it's, this is not a physique contest. This is not an, it's not an endurance contest. Exactly. This is... This is a skill sport. People just don't understand. There's there's levels of skill. There's levels of talent. Boxing is is the most difficult sport in the world, and it is entirely entirely. I mean, it's a, it's a number of factors, but there's so many factors that are involved, and looks is probably the least important. So uh, it's just you know, I'm a huge fan of Joshua. If I I make a joke all the time. If I was making if I was playing a video game and I was going to make the heavyweight champion of the world, I would make Anthony Joshua. He would look and sound exactly like that guy. <laughs> Um, he would fight like that guy. He's incredible. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. But, you know, give it up for, for, for Andy Ruiz and, and, and for the, the underdogs out there and the guys that, that have tons of heart and, and, and make up for any, anything that they're lacking. Um, but I, I take nothing away from his skill set. I take nothing away from Andy Ruiz as a fighter. 
Um, he is uh, obviously a phenomenal athlete, um, you know, and I think that we need to kind of educate people a little bit more. We need we, our boxing fans need to be more educated on what this sport is all about. Um, it's, it's, it's not a physique contest, obviously, you know, we've, we've got all types of different types of body types, especially in the heavyweight division. And now our heavyweight champion looks like Andy Ruiz and he deserves it. He certainly does deserve it. Um, Chris, back onto yourself a second here. Have you got your next, uh, fight date just yet? Perhaps a month in, in mind, any indication at all? No, no, nothing yet. Uh, my team is working on that. Um, you know, we're, we're still pretty fresh from, from, from Saturday night. There's been a lot of talks of, of, of potential, you know, title fights and that, that, that fight being a title eliminator. Um, I know how boxing is, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see some paperwork. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of just coming down off the victory now and waiting for the next thing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mentally kind of not, not checking out, but, but changing hats per se, you know, kind of give myself some, uh, a little bit of time off, let my boxing personality rest and, and wear some of the other hats that I, I like to wear in between fights and, and, and reset my mind. But um, I like to take a little bit, you know, a few weeks off and then uh, get right back to work. I always like to stay fit. And hopefully we can we can lock down a fight and I can get a, a proper, proper two-month training camp where um, I can go away and I can bring my whole team. Um, haven't had a camp like that since, shoot, I don't even know. It's been, it's been years now. So uh, it'll be good to have a, a proper camp with my full squad with me for eight to ten weeks and get focused on, on a single night and go out there and, and, and make dreams come true again. Fingers crossed for you, my friend. And last time we spoke, you gave me your take on Crawford versus Khan. It was just before that. Um, obviously, it proved to be Crawford's night, but I want to get your take on mm-hmm. Pacquiao versus Furman, a brilliant fight that's going to be happening soon. I'm actually very excited about that, about that fight. Um, I think that in terms of the, the, the welterweight landscape, the guys that I would be okay seeing Pacquiao fight, Thurman's probably one of those guys. Thurman, Danny Garcia, I can see those fights uh, making sense. I don't want to see Pacquiao in with the Spences or the Crawfords. Um, even even a guy like Sean Porter, I think, is just too physical, too young, too uh, too big. You know, um, we have to honor our champions. Pacquiao is a living legend. Um, we can't just be feeding him to the young wolves. But I think Thurman, him being out of the ring and being inactive as he has been over the past two two and a half years, um, even though he's younger and undefeated and has power. Uh, I, I think it's a it's a very viable fight and it's a winnable fight for Manny Pacquiao, especially the Pacquiao who's fighting now. He's a different guy than he was uh, a bunch of years ago, five years ago, like when I fought him. He doesn't move the same way. His reaction is not the same, but he's he's still very dangerous. I think his power is still there. I think that his ability to pull the trigger is still there. Um, he doesn't have that same footwork. He's a little bit more of a plotter and a puncher that we saw in the Matisse fight and the Broner fight. But um, still a very, very dangerous guy. And you can see from a boxing, from a boxer watching Manny Pacquiao, I don't see him missing a beat in terms of dodging punches or, or, or being fearful of power. Um, you know, he, he's still able, he's still in there. He still sees things. He's still able to pull the trigger. Still a very, very dangerous guy. Can still beat a lot of the top welterweights. And I would not be surprised if he beat Keith Thurman on the night. Yeah, I love the, the interesting factor that the young guy, Thurman, is coming off a well, a not not a real fantastic display in his last fight. And then you've got the older mm-hmm. guy, Pacquiao, coming off of a few good performances now in a row. So uh, right. it's real intriguing. And just before we let yeah, you... Yeah, the, the timing is great. Yeah, no, the timing no, is great. the timing of the fight is great. It, yep. it really is. And just before I let you go, Chris, have you got any closing words just to our listeners at all before we let you go, my friend? Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm switching hats a little bit. So uh, out, outside of my boxing, I'm, uh, my book comes out, actually came, come, came out today, June the 4th. It's called The Fighter's Kitchen. It's 100 recipes. Uh, there's, there's some nutrition information. There's meal plans in there. It is uh, 
It is nutrition recipe that I have been using for my own career for a number of years. They're, they're actual recipes that I cook for myself all the time and post my social media. They're recipes that I use with other fighters that I help with their nutrition. So anybody who has been asking for recipes and secrets, it's now available. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's in bookstores uh, all over. We're going to be doing some book signing tours. We're starting here in the States, and then hopefully we're going to head up over to, uh, to Indi- Indi- uh, England and London and, and possibly Italy and some other places as well. So uh, getting that book tour going. So if anybody wants to grab that book, uh, I really appreciate it. Excellent, excellent. Really exciting times. Well, Chris, like I say, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Congrats once again on your win over Tommy Coyle. Thank you so much for your time, and we hope to speak again very soon. My pleasure as always. Let me know when you need me, and I'll, I'll be there. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. I has what you got. Joseph Parker has signed with Matchroom Boxing. Yeah, I mean... It's it's kind of ironic, really. I believe he signed last Friday, so it was literally the day before the the Joshua Ruiz fight, and he is probably the best man to ask who he believed would win the fight beforehand. You know, he's fought both guys. I believe he's the only guy to have fought both guys. Um, you know, he had a close-ish fight with Joshua. He didn't completely get embarrassed. I think it was probably like a 7-5 kind of fight, something like that. And um, people forget that. But yeah, he had a real close fight, an, another 7-5 kind of fight with Andy Ruiz Jr. So, um, you know, it was... Uh you know, it was a, it was a strange signing. Then, of course, like we said earlier on, his win now over Ruiz looks unbelievable. I mean, thanks to Anthony Joshua, his win looks unbelievable now over Andy Ruiz Jr. But yeah, good signing. There's lots and lots of good fights. You know, we we kind of well, I don't forget it, but a lot of people will forget it. He almost had Dillian White out of there in the last round. Um, you know, he seemed to leave a little bit too much in the tank that, that night. He didn't empty it all. Um, so there's many big fights. I'd like to see the White rematch, even though I think White should really be pushed on for world titles now. He's done enough. He's fighting Oscar Rivas. If he beats him, don't put another hard fight in front of him. Just let him fight for a belt. He certainly deserves it. But, you know, if that doesn't happen, then, of course, you know, that's a great fight, the rematch there. Uh, Joseph Parker against Chisora that's a fight we'd like to see I think he wins that one so easily Parker Um, there's many big fights I could go on and on I mean him against um, Andy Ruiz Jr. in a rematch obviously that's not going to happen straight away but that's a good fight again and there's many big fights Michael Hunter one of them I'm sure Uh, loads and loads and loads I could name them all day but it's a good signing for Matchroom yes uh, the next news is that um, Tony Harrison v Jamal Tyler 2 is off due to a ligament injury to Tony Harrison, which has ruled him out for 10 weeks. Yeah, Tony Harrison, friend of the show, sad to see because, you know, he won the first fight, it was a little bit controversial, a lot of people didn't agree with it, but then going into the second fight, all the build-up, it seems like he's actually managed to get inside Charlo's head, and Charlo, you know, people were saying, hey, he doesn't look right at these press conferences, He, he needs reassurance from Leonard Ellaby, all kinds of things like that, and um, I really was looking forward to this way more than the first fight. So it's a shame that he's had to be ruled out with an injury. It gives Jamel Jamel Charlo it is um, more time to kind of gather his his mental state, if you like. And um, you know, it should still be a good fight should it get rescheduled. I know that the the fight's off, but the card still goes ahead. I believe Rogondo it was uh, was on the undercard. I think he still. Uh, fights on that night against his opponent can't remember who it was but maybe he'll be headlining but I'm sure the show still will go on without that fight but obviously it's a blow there Eddie Hearn has announced that Andy Ruiz Jr. vs Anthony Joshua rematch clause has been triggered 
Yeah, um, the decision got made while they were all still in New York. I believe a meeting took place between Eddie Hearn, Anthony Joshua um, and Rob McCracken and they've all sat down and come to the decision that the rematch is what they want immediately. I think they talked about November or October in the UK. It's a weird one really because where are they going to put that fight? You'd expect it to be Wembley or something but in those cold months there it's probably going to rain so... I don't know what they're going to do. I'm guessing it's going to have to be outdoors, though. It's a big fight. It's going to be huge. It's going to be bigger, you'd you'd expect, than the first fight. So um, it's, it's a weird one, but it's happening in the UK. I think Joshua is going to need that home advantage that he didn't have in the first fight here. And um, it should be a good one, but, you know, it's certainly, it's certainly not a given. I mean, the bookies need to make Andy Ruiz quite a, you know, not so much a big underdog because people will be lumping money on him now. And like I said to Chris Algeri earlier on, the physique is what's tricking everyone. I mean, if he was built like Frank Bruno, we'd be saying, no, he'll win, he'll win. But just because he's out of shape, he looks out of shape anyway on the naked eye, people think, well, you know, it's a fluke if you like. And people are making excuses. He can't do it again. Um, you know, I wouldn't be so sure. I think he's going to be, like I say, going into that second fight knowing he can hurt Joshua. Joshua goes into the second fight knowing he can be hurt by Ruiz. There's clouds of doubt there. And um, Ruiz will be better prepared mentally and physically, you'd have to say, for that rematch. So that is a close fight. I wouldn't really want to put any money down on that one at all. And finally, Teofomo Lopez will face uh, Masayoshi Nakatani in an IBF light, uh, lightweight final eliminate on July 19th at the MGM National Harbour. Yes, um, Nakatani, 18-0 with 12 knockouts, an undefeated fighter um, from Japan. I mean, you look at his resume, and I am just looking at his resume, I'll, I'll have it be known. Um, not overly impressive. I mean, I think it's, you know, a little bit inflated. His best win was probably against... To be honest, it's hard to find the best win. I mean, it's, it's probably over Ricky Sismundo or um, Cry Setafon. I mean, you know, yeah, n- not not going to pose any kind of threat to Tiafimo Lopez. Lopez probably knocks him out early and, um, you know, it just sets up. It's probably going to be an early night's work, so it just sets up. The, the fight after that to pretty much be a quick one. We had Tiafimo Lopez on this show and he said that he wants to move up to 140 in 2020. So this fight here, um, what was the date for it, as you said? Was it um, July? So uh, I believe he'll probably make quick work of it and then he'll be able to box for a 135 world title before the year's up and then win, lose or draw. He can uh, he, he can still do what he was doing. The plan still can go ahead. He can move up to 140. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much a given, that fight there. I believe Tiafimo will be fighting. I believe it's the winner of Comey and Beltran. Um, you know, he'll fight the winner of that fight before the year's out. So, uh, yeah, good good fights for Tiafimo. But this one, I believe, is a knockover job. Yep, and that's it for the news. Thank you very much, Ayaz. Right, moving over to the preview part of the show. And by the way, do not miss it. I'm going to I'm gonna do a uh, an impression later on. At the very end of the show, I'm going to throw in one of my pre-recorded, uh, my pre-recorded impressions. I'm going to do, I'm going to just spoil it here. I'm going to do Demetrius Andrade at the very end of the show. Ayaz did a bit of 50 Cent last week. I'm going to do Demetrius Andrade at the end of the show. So listen out for that impression there. 
don't go anywhere. Um, but yeah, the preview part of the show. Now we're going to start here at the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York, USA. Um, one fight to mention that tops the bill. Zab Judah, he returns to action, 44-9. This will be his 54th fight. He fights for the vacant NABA super lightweight title against Cleta Seldin, 23-1. That is a weird fight because Cleta Seldin's a real big puncher. Zab obviously being at the real, real tail end of his career. I mean, he would, in his prime, have been able to outbox and probably stop Cleta Seldin. Um, but, you know, it, it certainly makes it interesting because Cletus Seldin's not a great boxer. We saw that when he took on Eves Ulysses. He got completely manhandled, really, when it came down to boxing skills. But like I say, Zab being long in the tooth and certainly over the hill, um, it makes for an interesting fight. If he can't outbox him, if he runs out of steam, he probably gets knocked out, sadly. And I like Zab, actually. But that's it for that one. Moving over to Spain at the Bilbao Arena. Two interesting fights over here. Firstly, a little shout-out to Andoni Gargo, a man, I believe Lee Selby knocked out on the Hay Bell U1 undercard, I think. But anyway, he's a decent fighter. 21-3 and three with three draws. He fights for the vacant EBU European featherweight title against Jesus Sanchez, who's 10-1. and one. That's a 12-rounder there. But more importantly... And more interestingly, Kerman Leharaga, 27-1, coming off that one loss to David Avanesian. Um, dare we mention Avanesian and Josh Kelly on the same show. Um, not talking about fighting each other. Um, but yeah, he takes on Luis Solis, who's 25-9 and nine with four draws. That's a 10-rounder there. No bell on the line. It would look to me there that Leharaga has decided to pass up on his rematch clause, unlike AJ with Ruiz. It looks like he doesn't want that rematch clause, that immediate rematch clause with um, with David Avanesian. So that goes to show... I mean, that's that's pretty shocking, actually, from Leharaga. He goes back to the Bilbao Arena there. All the best to him. Seems like a decent guy, actually. Uh, moving out now to York Hall at Bethnal Green in London, United Kingdom. One or two fights over here to mention. Just the one, really. Friend of the show, Jake Ball, 12-2. and two. Um, obviously, you know, a friend of the show, he's been on a few times, coming off that bad loss, though, to Craig Richards. Uh, he's in an eight-rounder against journeyman Daryl Sharp, who's 5-53. and 53. Uh, Moving out now to the Renault Sparks Convention Center in Reno, I should say, in, in Nevada, USA. Um, friend of the show, Oscar Valdez, 25-0. and 0. He's got a pet alligator called Steve. He puts his WBO World Featherweight title on the line against Jason Sanchez, 14 and oh um you know i've got to say this about oscar valdez he's an exciting fighter because he can be dropped and he can also drop people but he's had a little bit of a kind of uh stagnated you know run of defenses at times i mean i mean he won the belt back in 2016 he beat matthias rueda who um was 26 and oh he beat him he he stopped him in the second round became world champion then of course he took on osawa the guy from japan then he went on to take uh to take the the uh not the oh he was already he was already he'd already lost mariaga that was actually a good fight to be fair but then this is what i'm talking about this little patch here maybe i'm being too harsh but he took on genesis savania the filipino boxer had a hard fight with him i believe he's filipino had a hard fight with him and uh then he took on scott quigg that was a complete war and then last time now he took on the italian carmine thomason and he didn't look that great to be honest i mean he was way too good for thomason but he didn't look that great and um I mean, maybe I'm being harsh. It's his, it's his third 
out of his last four fights, three of the guys he's boxed have been undefeated, and he's beaten two of them. He's taken on his third this Saturday. So maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but he hasn't really boxed the big names. I mean, Scott Quigg gave him a tough fight. I mean, he completely got outclassed, but it was still a tough, gritty, bloody fight. And then, yeah, I suppose I give him credit for fighting Mariaga, but aside from that, I mean... I don't know, there's there's other fights I'd like to see him have. There's unifications, I know that politics gets in the way, but I, f- I just feel like, um, you know, him against Selby, I would have liked to have seen that. I know the pair have sparred a few times, him against Frampton, but, you know, even him against Warrington, I want these fights to happen, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait, certainly, for those ones, but yeah, all the best to... To Oscar Valdez. Uh, moving out now to the final bill to mention at the Madison Square Garden in New York, USA. Seven days on from the upset uh, between Joshua and Ruiz. The ring gets cleared out for, um, well, I'm just going to mention the main event here because the undercard's pretty poor, to be honest. Gennady Golovkin, I has 38 and 1 with one draw, coming off the loss to Saul Canelo Alvarez. He takes on Steve Rolls, the Canadian 19 and 0. 12-round contest, Ayaz, talk to me. This is going to be a first fight. Um, I mean, this is going to be a, this is going to be a first uh, Kennedy Golovkin's fight under his new trainer, Jonathan Banks. True. I mean, I think it's going to be really... I think we're going to see a new Kennedy Golovkin. I think we're going to see more for, like... I think we're going to see more for defensive Kennedy Golovkin. But if I'm going to go and win, I'm going to go with Golovkin to win by knockout. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I'm not quite sure that I agree that we're going to see a, a new Golovkin. I feel like he's... He's kind of fought the same way the whole time. I mean, he's been with Abel Sanchez for all that time, but I don't think he's, you know, I think he's kind of too old to completely change his style. But, you know, the the thoughts of him being slightly more defensive, I'm not sure that Steve Rolls is going to bring that out of him. I'm not sure we're going to get to see that because I don't think Steve Rolls is going to be able to hang with Golovkin. I mean, I know Golovkin's 37. He only just turned 37 in April. Um, and also... He just turned 35, Steve Rolls, in April. So there's only two years between the guys. I mean, Steve Rolls obviously doesn't have all those miles on the clock. Like I say, 19-0. and 0. He had a decent little amateur career. Um, never really beat anyone of note, but he was a decent amateur um, from Canada, like I say. But no real names. I mean, you look at his resume, Keandre Leverwood. He went the distance with him in his last fight. Um... You know, he he won the vacant USBA middleweight title. I remember Leverwood being, uh, being, was it stopped by Andy Lee? No, I think Andy Lee went the distance with him. I think he got stopped by Caleb Truax. But he's not a fantastic fighter. I mean, I will say this guy did get a win against Demond Nicholson. That that there is actually a good win because Demond Nicholson can certainly punch. Barely any of his fights go the distance, and this guy beat him on a split decision over eight. Um, and he had Nicholson down in the first round. So that's the standout, really. But obviously, it doesn't match anything that, that Gennady Golovkin's done. Um, so, yeah, I believe Gennady Golovkin will stop him. But we're not even doing any predictions this week because, sadly, it's, it's a bit of a rubbish weekend, actually. There's no mega, mega fights. I think Golovkin, everyone's going to pick him to, to beat uh, Steve Rolls by knockout. And obviously, the other big card, if you like, is probably that Oscar Valdez card. And we don't know much about Jason Sanchez, even though he's undefeated. We're all going to probably pick Valdez to win by knockout. So there's no point just doing these predictions for the sake of it. And uh, we're going to probably return next week with the predictions. I believe there's some big fights happening next weekend. But that's about it, though, for the preview part of the show. Remember, do not tune out at all. You need to listen. Hang around and listen for the Demetrius Andrade impression. And, um, yeah, just before we wrap up the preview part of the show, the last thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest on this week's podcast. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning WBA Continental Light Heavyweight Champion. It is, of course, Mr. Craig Richards. Craig, welcome back on the show. Thank you, thank you. It's always a pleasure having you on, Thank you for having me back on. It's always a pleasure having you on, my man. Thank you, man. So we last spoke in February. It was just after your incredible win over Jake Paul. Definitely the best performance of your career. Now you've got your next fight date lined up, June 21st, against the undefeated Andre Sterling. What do we know about Andre, Craig? We know um, he's going to come, he's going to bring it. Um, We know he's a good, credible opponent, unbeaten, beat Ricky Summers, beat the English champ, so... We know it's in good stead, and um, it's just for me to go out there and show my class and show how good I am and, you know, where I'm destined to be, you know. He's been calling the fight on, um, knowing me I don't duck and dive, no challenges. So after the call, we'll get it on. You know, it wasn't part of my plan, but sometimes things like that happen in boxing. And you're both coming off your career best wins. I was there for your win over Ball. I was also there for Sterling's win over Ricky Summers. And by the way, going into the Summers fight, I was looking at both their records, both of them not really known as big punchers. And I remember thinking, hey, Ricky Summers gave Frank Buglioni quite a lot to think about. And I remember he had a great jab. And I expected him to beat Sterling, especially when he was able to drop Sterling in the second round. But Sterling ended up winning um, pretty wide. I mean, it was quite, it was quite shocking. I wasn't really watching. In the fight. I was kind of chatting to some of the media there, but I remember thinking, wow, that's a wide card, seeing as he got dropped. Um, uh, did you watch the fight I at all? Think it, uh, I, I did watch it back um, after, you know, had a good look, had a look in on it, because obviously after this fight was made, I didn't really get to watch most of it at the time. I watched a bit of it, because obviously I tuned into the James DeGale card at the time, uh, saw a bit of the end of it, and obviously I saw the highlights and got dropped. I look back over the fight and, yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't really agree too much on the scorecards, but that's here nor there. That's, um, um, you know, I'm not, you can't really pay punk. you got the win at the end of the day and he moves on his career, you know? So, no point disputing the rounds and how much you thought he or she won at the end of the day. He got the nod and he moves on. And I read somewhere that the winner of this will, will fight Josh Buatzi next. I'm guessing it's the final eliminator for the British. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure is, um, who, if Boatsy will have the title or not at the time, but he's a final British eliminator for the British title. Obviously, the winner becomes mandatory. Okay. So, you know. Okay, okay. Um, obviously, Boatsy, the holder of the belt at the minute. Um, how much do you rate Boatsy, Craig? I mean, what have you made of his opponents that he's boxed thus far? Have you had the chance to spar him, perhaps? Yeah, I think Boatsy's a good, a good fighter. I think he's a good light heavyweight. He's obviously got good pedigree. He's done well in the amateurs. He's come through. He's beaten everyone in front of him. He's done everything else of him. So, yeah, he's a good, good light heavyweight, good credible opponent, good credible light heavyweight. Um, yeah. You ever had the chance to so spar? I do think he's a good fighter. Yeah, we sparred rounds. We sparred rounds. Okay. We got some good spars. Okay, I was saying it earlier on in the show that there's so many guys domestically at light heavyweight. I mean. It's quite staggering. I actually had a little look. I count 16 names that are all kind of around about the same level for now. I'm not saying that none of you can push on, obviously, but I'm saying it's such a rich division domestically, like way richer than I thought. It's, it's, it's a brilliant division to be in at that domestic level right now, you know? Well, 100%. It's, um, it's a big division full of big, a lot of names. A lot of people ain't mixing it, though, you know, it's a bit of a shame. Um... But there's so much good names and good talents in there. And it was just like a process of elimination, really. And it's the same reason why I said before when we done the last interview, why I took the Jake fight. 
because he was considered one of the best in the division, it's a process of elimination. I had to get him out of there and move on, you know, and prove myself in the division to be what I believe I'm the best. Um, and I've got to go on and keep executing that and showing that. And I've heard people say, like, obviously, if any of the other light heavyweights, um, top 10 has done something like what I did to Jake Ball, people say he's past domestic level. But, you know, obviously in this game, I don't think, obviously, I get a fair shake of how I perform the challenges I've took on. Um, if I beat Sterling, would be the fourth domestic champion that I've beat. Um, and I just don't think I'd get enough credit. But, you know, sometimes it goes like that. You've got to keep going out there, not worrying about that, and keep executing your job until you get to your final goal and don't worry what people say, you know? No, I, I agree, um, Craig. I, I felt like you've been severely overlooked, underrated, um, you know, throughout your career. I think that win over Ball, though, was just like, wow. Like, no one, absolutely no one can look at that and say, that's not impressive, because that was incredible. And I think, obviously, a win here against Sterling, especially in good fashion, you're really, you really got some momentum behind you now. So I think a win over this, uh, over Sterling, just pushes you even more, really. I don't think people can keep forgetting about you, mentioning those top guys at light heavy, especially in Britain. Um, a guy that was kind of criticised for not fighting, you know, not mixing it up at British level was Anthony Yard. A lot of people said, hey, he's never, ever going to sign to fight Kovalev. You're crazy if you think he is. And he obviously did sign. It now looks like Kovalev doesn't uh, seem to want the fight. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. But should the fight happen, how do you see it unfolding? Um, it's boxing. Um, it's boxing. It's a, it's a, Anthony can punch, Kovalev can punch. But obviously, uh, Kovalev's got the bigger pedigree. He's been in a higher level. Obviously, Anthony's not boxed anyone at that level, but it's a chance for him to prove himself and show what he's made of. So it's a chance for everyone to gauge to see how good Anthony is. Is he at that level? Is he not there yet? Um, it's a good uh, opportunity for him to display. Um, it's a good it's a good gauge to see where everyone's at, really. It's a very good fight. And you can never write anyone off. You know, look at Ruiz's fight the other day. Everyone thought it was going to be a blowover for Josh. It wasn't a blowover. So, you know, anything could happen in boxing. Tell me about that fight. What did you make of Joshua Ruiz? What was your reaction? Did you stay up? Yeah, I stayed up. Silly. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was a shocker. You know, you wake up the next day, you feel like you're dreaming. You can't believe that happened, you know. But um, everyone's saying that Ruiz has just got his number, which Ruiz is a very good fighter, but I just believe that Joshua on the rematch will come out there and blow him up. I, I believe that Joshua, just, I really do believe he wasn't himself. Um, well, you silly say he wasn't himself, but you can see there was stuff wrong with him. Even the way he done the ring walk, the way he's in the ring, the way he's looking around. When he got in the ring, he's looking up at the screens. Even when they called his name, he looked surprised. Like, oh, me? And he's looking up at the screens, looking around in the crowd. He just looked confused. He just didn't seem right uh, from the off. He was asking weird questions in the corner that no one's ever asked him heard. He was saving Santa Rob at the time. Why do I feel like this? Um, yeah, you could tell he wasn't right. He looked pretty right, though, when he put Ruiz down for the first time in Ruiz's career, though. Yeah, um, yeah, and no. Um, he put him down nicely, but then the exchanges afterwards, um, I believe Josh has used a little bit more explosive than that. But, um, I don't know, Mike. Obviously, there's no excuses. He's not. He's been a man about it. He ain't making excuses, so who are we to make excuses for him? He took it like a man, but, um, and... Fair play to him and shows the uh, spirit of a champ. Um, but my personal is not as a boxer, as a fan's point, uh, watching boxing. He just didn't seem him, this AJ I've seen 
previously watching him. No, fair enough. Um, what, what? Who are your top three heavyweights in order of one to three, um, Craig? Who's the best? Mm, I don't really have. A, I don't have a top three. Mm. I know. I, I know who top your top three, three uh, is, but I just don't know what the order is. Everyone's pretty much got the same top three, right? Uh, I think everyone has got the similar top three. There's a obviously there's always the argument at the top four with Hill, AJ, White, um, Wilder, and Fury. Obviously, everyone was arguing who was the better two out of Wilder and AJ because that was the two belt holders. So that's why this fight kind of shaken up the division a little bit. Um, currently, now AJ's lost everyone saying, well, Fury's the best. I can't see how that works out. Um, obviously, on paper, achievement-wise and everything, you, everyone's going to have to say that at the moment, Wilder is, because he's obviously still the champion, and you can't say Ruiz is now better than Wilder because he's beat AJ, do you know what I'm saying? So, paper-wise, Wilder. Um, but it's all just arguments. You can't say anyone's the best because some people say, oh, I think Fury beat Wilder. Some people think, oh, I think Wilder not, um, Fury didn't make the count. Some people are saying, Yo, how come the Dillian, uh, Fury ain't fighting Dillian? Some people can say, you know, there's just so much politics to it. I feel like at the moment that heavyweight's in the air and it's all for grabs, to be honest. Fair enough. It's good to uh, it's good to get out of you. It's good to hear your expanded answer on that, Craig. Just before we let you go, any closing words at all for our listeners before we let you go, my friend? Just keep tuning, keep supporting. Love to support. Um, don't sleep on me. <laughs> don't sleep on Craig. That's a mistake a few guys have made and, and been made to pay. Craig, for tickets, people can come to you, right? Yeah, come to me. Uh, message me either on my Instagram. Um, as I'm from tomorrow, it'll be up on my website. So uh, either have a way, message me, come down support. Also, if you want to get t-shirts and you buy a ticket, they go uh, cheap off the ticket buyers. So, yeah, we work here. Exactly. So so if you buy a ticket, you get a t-shirt for, for an extra £10. Otherwise, if you want a t-shirt alone, it's 15 But please, everyone that's listening to this, check the t-shirts out. I'm going to get mine. They look brilliant. All right, listen, Craig, it's, it's always great catching up, my friend. You know that. Best of luck for... Best of luck for the, the 21st of June, Craig, and we'll catch up sometime after. Oh, thank you. See you soon, bro. Okay, and this wraps up episode 190 of the Box Heart Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra has been Ayaz Sumra. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the former WBO super lightweight world champion, Chris Algieri, and the reigning WBA continental light heavyweight champion, Craig Richards. No predictions this week. One piece of news has broken since recording the show. Eddie Hearn has announced a unification fight between Maurice Hooker and Jose Ramirez for their WBO and WBC titles. Um, that's a good fight, obviously, because it's the two other belts that aren't included in the the World Boxing Super Series. So hopefully the winner of that fight that I've just mentioned will take on the winner of Pro Gray and Taylor. That would be excellent to see a undisputed champion once again at 140. Um, we'd like to thank you all, of course, for tuning in to this week's podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Thank you all for listening. And lastly, just to wrap things up, I haven't forgotten, here is my impression of Demetrius Andrade. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Demetrius, Andrade, the Dunkin' Donuts, Santa and Providence, um, Billy Joe Saunders, you know, he's taking all these nasal sprays. He doesn't want to fight me. <laughs> it's me again. <laughs>